Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast, where you're going to find news that you won't find anywhere else, and where you're going to hear from a guy who wants to unite the country, who wants to show as much love as humanly possible, and who wants to motivate and make you a little bit wiser with each and every episode. My name is Stan Orr Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas, and as a guy who worries a lot about our current media situation, as well as the state of our country, I decided it was time to have a place where you can come listen and just get the facts, no matter what side you are on. I absolutely love America, and I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon. We need a calm and solid media voice, who doesn't work to divide, and who doesn't use scare tactics or extreme, minuscule examples to work up their audience. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters. And I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness to everyone. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the February 9th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. Uh, In this episode, we'll be discussing quite a few topics, which hopefully interest you, and I think they're things you probably haven't seen in the news. This includes the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and the much larger thing that should remind all Americans of. Uh, China flew a balloon over the United States. You may have heard about that, but here are quite a few things you probably didn't know about that situation. Uh, There's three quick things I want to share regarding Ukraine and the Russian war that you probably didn't hear about. And one of these things involves a deeper political angle that I think is starting to emerge and what that might mean for the 2024 presidential elections here in America. I hadn't seen this anywhere, but it's something that's starting to hit me. I'm wondering if you agree with this analysis of mine. And then we won't have the time to cover it, but I did put in the source notes, uh, there are two ongoing U.S. military operations you've probably forgotten about. about. Uh, I'm going to share links to them in the notes below, and I will also mention them briefly. And then finally, like we do with every episode, we'll cover plenty of motivation and wisdom, and there will be timestamps in the top of the source notes so that you can jump to any of these topics as you wish. So thanks for joining us, and as I'll do every episode... I usually start with just a little something about myself. Uh, The great news about that today is that it isn't just about myself. This is something that I think has a bigger lesson and will apply to you, at least I hope. Now, if you're hearing this, and if my plans go as expected, you're probably hearing this on Wednesday. I have to put the episode out a day early. I close in my day job. Uh, I always jokingly call it my day job because, like, probably everyone listening to this the um, even though I'm chasing a dream, I am working a normal job just like every normal person in America, and I don't mind doing so. I'm not making excuses or any of that stuff. But my day job, uh, I close on Wednesday night. When normally I do a lot of my recording on Wednesday night, so anytime I close on a Wednesday, you get the episode a day early because I typically just put it out before I start my day job. So this is probably coming out to you on Wednesday, uh, and. Eh, enough on that. I apologize. I'm stumbling all over myself at this point. So, the personal news, which I think will, um, I think, I think it has a bigger lesson. So, I have huge personal news regarding my 
I guess, 50% of my dream, which is, I think 50% of it is obviously writing fiction, 50% of it is the podcast, or maybe it's 30, 30, 30, maybe it's like your 33, 33, 33, plus whatever, dot, three, three, threes. But I like to motivate people, so maybe that's point three three. But on the writing part of it, whether that's 50% or point three three. I have definitely feel called to be a writer and I've been chasing that dream for a very long time and I've had some highs and I've had some lows but I finally have finished Nick Woods 5 my goodness has this been a beast to reign in and mostly you know writing's been called the loneliest profession in the world and it's absolutely true and so I kind of was talking to some friends about how like your victories are birthed in private and they're agonizing they're painful they're not as easy as they make it out in the movies when i finished the book my wife was asleep no one knew there was no one i could call it was late at night i stayed up it was late actually it was late last night tuesday night but three years after starting nick woods five and most books by the way take me about a year to write but this was three years after starting this book and seven years since the last nick woods four book which was called nigerian terror dropped i finally completed that beast and I think I've mentioned in previous episodes, I got about halfway or more through the book, and then the Ukraine war happened back in February. And it completely wrecked the plot. And this is a really minor thing compared to the unbelievable uh, suffering and everything that the people of Ukraine have been through. So not like this is a big deal in any scheme of the world except for a small part of my life. But it did wreck the plot. I had to rewrite lots of it, tear it apart. And I was already struggling with the plot anyway. And so, but that's a small thing, unless you're a writer, but it was, it did wreck the book. So that took a lot longer. And I didn't want to, I've been wanting to write so many other things because I normally write at least a book a year. I normally write at least a book a year. Sometimes I do about two a year. I'm pretty prolific when I get on a, on a, on a row, but it has been, this has been one of the hardest books I've written since the first one I ever wrote in the Nickwood series called Sold Out. That one took me 12 years. So I know this book's going to be good. It's good. I've reread it. I've talked to y'all about that a couple months ago, but it's finally done, like really done. And it was such a, a feeling of euphoria. So that's the huge news. Why am I sharing that? And how does, why do you care? Hopefully, I assume you care about me a little bit, but the bigger point is, I'm telling you guys, we talk about motivation every every week. I try to hopefully reach people out there and help them. There was a tweet in 2020, and I'm going to find it real quick because this is worth sharing. And I think I will even throw it in the source notes for you, if you want to see it. But there's a guy named Todd Anderson. Never met him in my life. Uh, he's a follower on Twitter. I followed him back because he's a huge uh, Vince Flynn fan, which is one of my favorite authors, probably top three for sure. Anyway, Todd Anderson back in December 12th, 2020, when I was struggling with this book in the very beginning, before I even had to rip it apart in the Ukraine war and all that stuff, sent me a tweet. This guy who doesn't know me says, at Stan R. Mitchell, any more Nick Woods in the future? Just blew through the four books in 18 days, and now I need more Nick and S3! Exclamation point. Now, if you're me, and your book sales are, you know, so-so at the time, and you're, you know, you're juggling family, a day job, you have these other ideas like, eh, do I want to motivate people? You know, I was thinking about, I think I started the Substack newsletter not a long time after that, because it's expensive to market books, 
And I thought, well, this will be a good way to get my name out some, and I can reach people, and this news media was already starting to drive me crazy, and all that stuff was starting to come together. But this guy sends me this tweet. Any more Nick Woods in the future? Just blew through the four books in 18 days, and now I need more Nick and S3. So I don't I don't know this guy, Todd. Uh, great guy from what I know from just following him through, you know, just social media. Um, but what's incredible about that is that that message hit me at like the perfect time. And so I saved it. I have a confidence file. I've mentioned to y'all before, you should always have a confidence file. Always. Anytime you get a compliment, whether it's at work, uh, from family or whatever, you should save it because we all beat up ourselves way too much. So this guy, Todd, doesn't know it, but I saved this tweet. And I put it at the top of my writing confidence thing to constantly remind me that, like, man, this guy I don't know, who had no reason to read any of these books, read all four of my books in 18 days and literally reached out to me and said he needs more Nick and S3, which uh, I don't think I mentioned, but that stands for Shield Safeguard and Shelter, which is this private military company that Nick leads. But insiders know these things. If you don't understand what S3 is, I get it. It's no biggie. But the broader point is that I wanted to make is that so many times as I have fought my way through this book, I have seen that message that he sent probably took him 20 seconds to type up. He probably barely remembered doing it, although I did reach out to him recently to tell him that, in my opinion, he may not have known he was doing God's work, but he was doing God's work. So I only share all of that for this. It isn't about me. It's not about my book. It's about none of that. This is about you. You can help someone. You can push someone on their dreams. You can literally do more for someone than you could possibly imagine. You can't even possibly understand what that message meant to me. All, all artists have doubts. Uh, there's a, well, I won't, I won't go on a, a divert, uh, you know, on a different route, but I just want you to know that you can reach people. So I beg of you all, I always talk about trying to help others and be a lot and all those things. Like, you can change the world without even doing that much. You don't even have to be the one who writes the book. You don't even have to be the one that does whatever. If that's not what you're called to do, you don't have to do it. But you can reach out and help someone who's trying to do that. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can you can literally help move the needle of what is happening in the world at any given time. And it doesn't even have to be like some guy that's half crazy like me named Stan who's writing books. There was a someone that was checking me out at the grocery store, ringing up my items. They see dog food. And the person, uh, I'm going to be as careful as I can on how I say this. The person was launching their own business, um, and they were like, hey, I do pet sitting. Now, I already have a pet sitter. I don't need a pet sitter. And I was actually visiting a grocery store about 20 miles away from where I normally live or shop. Long story why, it doesn't matter. Now, I could have been like, oh, um, well, actually, I have one. I have a a pet sitter. Or I could have said, well, you know, oh, that's great, but I'm 20 miles away. I'll never be here, and I would never bring my pet to you. But I didn't. And I'll I'll be completely honest. This person... um, how do I say this? This this person 
was probably not the most polished person, was probably not the person that I would leave my pet with. But I could see that they're they're growing. I could see that they didn't have a lot of charisma. They didn't have a lot of um, confidence. They were not um, in any way polished. And so this person says, uh, I could watch the, you know, watch your dog. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I'm always looking for a pester. And, like, instantly I go back into, like, small business stand. Back when I owned a newspaper for nine years. And every week had so many doubts. And every week for nine years was worried, would I make it longer? And you're worried about money and this and that. And so here we have someone who's checking me out at the, um, you know, at a, at a grocery store. Young lady, um, very blue-collar, blue-collared, not super... Uh, educated, not polished in any way. And I just, for whatever reason, was like, I'm going to encourage this person. So I was like, you know, I, I go along with it. And so she handwrites on a sheet of paper, she has no business cards or anything, A her number, and says, yeah, if you, if you ever need your dog watched, I'd be glad to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. And then, you know, it gets a little uncomfortable because she starts explaining, like, She's holding the line up. She explains, like, she learned a hard lesson because she'd watched one dog that was aggressive. So she's like, I would want to, like, meet it in a park first, make sure, blah, blah, blah. And she's telling me the story, and it's like, oh, Stan, you should have just been like, you know, <laughs> you should have not done, you should have not done the right thing here. Now these people are staring at you. But at the same time, and it, it just showed that she's, you know, she's learning as she tries to grow her small business. But I'm like, I don't. I don't care that I held the line up a bit because as I drove away, I know she thinks that I'll potentially call and and have my dog meet her at a park and potentially do it. And the reality is, is that's not going to happen. So, I, but it gave her hope for a little bit, and that little bit of hope and my hopefully I showed a lot of interest and I tried to act like I was absolutely all about it and I really wasn't. But I it was faking it, but I feel like I was doing it for the right reason. But when I left, I could just see this gleam in her eye where it was like, yes, like that's someone who could do this. And and I could just see this person who's not making much money at a grocery store thinking, yeah, this pet sitting idea can work. And so I probably didn't explain that real well, but I'm telling you, we can all reach people and we can do this every single day in the smallest of ways. And so I just encourage you, please use what you have to reach people and encourage them. So I hope that came out half as well as I intended it to. I definitely stumbled around a bit on how to describe the situation. And probably some people will say, why did you waste her time? If you don't call her, you're going to, you know, disappoint her. But I'm telling you, as someone who's done a lot of cold call, a lot of cold calls, as someone who was trying to sell ads and subscriptions, as someone who had, I have gotten both responses. I have gotten the, oh, I don't live here, or I'm not interested, or I don't read newspapers, or I don't advertise in newspapers. I have had those hard no's, and they are hard. They are not fun. I had people who, for nine years, small businesses in Oak Ridge, who told me that they plan to advertise and they never did. I will never forget, in fact, before I launched the paper, I will share one more thing because I, I need to prove my point and I also don't want people to think that I'm wrong or to be too critical of me. Before I launched the paper, I went to about 10 or 15 businesses and I'm like, hey, I've got this business plan. I'm thinking about borrowing $20,000. I'm going to launch a newspaper. Would you advertise? 
And there was this one company that was a pretty strong company that had a fair amount of money. And they said, oh, absolutely. And I'm like, you would. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. We don't like that other newspaper anyway. We love what, you know, we know your heart. We These, these people knew me. I had told them what I planned to do, how I was going to try to unite the city, and that I thought newspapers were too, that they tried to stir up controversy and stoke division, blah, blah, blah. So I, I say, it's a lot of the same stuff I say on here, honestly, but it was at the local level. So I get the business plan, you know, agreed to get the loan set up, and I go to these people, and I'm all excited. I'm like, hey, the first edition is going to be in two weeks. And they're like, oh, and I was like, so I was hoping that, you know, you'd said you'd buy an ad and, um, well, I was going to show you the prices and all, and I was hoping you might advertise, obviously, in our first edition. And I got some rude news in that they were not ready to advertise. And I can't tell you, because they were probably who I thought would be the biggest supporters. It was like a knife in the heart, honestly. And if the fear immediately grew in me that I had made this major mistake by quitting a job, doing what I was doing, taking this massive risk. But I managed to keep control myself, not say anything. But I, I'm not going to lie, I was angry at them for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months. And I don't remember if they told me they would in the future or in the summer, if it was off season, I can't remember the exact reason at the time because I was so shocked that I didn't get the news I wanted, but I'm really good usually at keeping my mouth shut and not telling people what I sometimes really think. And after a year or two, after we were really established and I, I remember after six months or a year, they would say, well, we just signed this big deal with your competitor and they gave us a huge discount, but that was our entire budget. And I remember being mad at them again, but anyway, I never say anything. I just, I kept pushing on and I was super, super religious and living on faith and just believing that this was going to work out. But long story short, it, it took a year or two. It kind of goes together in my mind as far as the timing of all this. But the bigger truth is they ended up becoming an advertiser. They ended up becoming one of my biggest advertisers over the entire nine years. And so I've had people who give you hard nose. I've had people who tell you kind of soft lies or sweet lies or whatever. And I'm telling you, it's easier sometimes to not get the hard no. So there you go. Now I have definitely taken too long. So I apologize for that. So let's get to the news, shall we? Before we get to some of the major topics that I previewed above, I wanted to, of course, I have to mention the terrible earthquake that happened in Turkey and Syria, and I think the death toll has passed 11,000. It's continuing to climb, and it has been just horrific to see images of the buildings that have fallen, the rescue efforts as they try to dig people out, and um, obviously earthquakes can strike anywhere, and they can test any nation, and that nation's um, ability to rescue folks and repair infrastructure and roads and all the things that go into that. But I wanted to make a point about this. And and that is that even before the earthquake, I, I think we have to look at a country like Turkey or Syria and realize just how fortunate we are to live in America. And I always try to make this point because 
I mean, we literally won the lottery by being born in this country. If you're listening to us in America, you won the lottery, period. Maybe you could make an argument that there's one or two or three countries in Europe that might be better or whatever. You, you can make that argument. I'm not going to get into that argument. But let's literally just for a second think about Turkey, even before the earthquake, that obviously they had the attempted coup four or five years ago. And, you know, you've got a, a dictator in, in power, Erdogan, who he literally sacked 150,000 uh, public servants, 50,000 people arrested. He regularly um, threatens, harasses journalists. There's still a lot of uncertainty about what the future of that country will be because he has shown close ties to Russia, but he is a, it's still a NATO country. And so there's a lot of issues happening in Turkey. It's not a country I would want to live in. I'm pretty sure it's a country you wouldn't want to live in. Syria is another great example of a country that it started out with protest and then a civil war against a four-decade rule of the Assad family. And they've been in a civil war 10-plus years, hundreds of thousands killed. 12 million people have fled that country. And so these are two countries that, even before the earthquake, were struggling with serious problems. And both of those sets of problems have been massively magnified. Massively. Uh, obviously, a lot of countries are sending aid. As I read in one political column, and I can't remember which one I read it in. I wish I had saved it. But this is an amazing chance for the West sh to show its generosity. Uh, I apologize, I can't talk. But for a chance for the West to show its generosity to show love and humanity and help out the people in Turkey and Syria as they can. It's much harder to help people in Syria because it is a very uh, unsecure area in much of the war-torn country. But we can help Turkey for sure. And we have and we are. Meanwhile, there are Russian commentators who are saying, you know, it's sad that that happened to Turkey, but they're mad at Turkey for a couple of things. And oh, by the way, we have to focus all our efforts on the war in Ukraine. So the Russians are showing a lack of humanity. And this is just a great chance to once again, you know, differentiate ourselves from the Russian uh, people and their leader and how they treat their so-called friends and allies. But I just did want to make that point because we constantly take for granted our country. And I've been recently rereading about our civil war and the lead up to it. Uh, also was rereading about the Revolutionary War. And in both instances, there are so many times where you are at like forks in the road where conflict could be averted. Now, obviously, I don't think anyone would say that we are, you know, would want to still be under the, the foot of, you know, the United Kingdom or anything. But it's interesting when you read history and all all history is absolutely happening right now and you can read history and just see reality and you can see so many times especially before the civil war just massive missteps and i mean massive ones that led to the civil war now maybe it was bound to happen at some point anyway but i just never want us to take for granted what we have as a country how fortunate and blessed we are to live here and so when you see loud uninformed people in Congress and other places, or especially in the media, who are, everything's black and white, absolute, you know, 
kind of burn this burn it down type of I don't want to say theology, but just burn it down ranting about how bad it is in America or this or that. They don't know what they're talking about. So they they just don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they don't. I don't know how anyone can make half of the comments that they make, but they don't. We're fortunate to live here and we should never ever forget it. And we should never ever forget how fragile everything we have is. It really is fragile. You can just study, I always mention the Roman Empire. You can study the, you know, the decline of France, Spain, Portugal, the United Kingdom, any of the various countries that at one time were on top. You can study them. It's very easy to spiral down. And so we're in a, a, a somewhat tenuous time in American history, at least in the last 50 years. And so we need to watch our feet and how we're stepping because it is a tenuous time. So enough on that. I know anyone listening to this agrees with that, but it's also important that we remember that and that we constantly remember that most Americans are good. So let's get to the news now. We will begin with the balloon story, which I'm sure all of you have heard about. Ah, the balloon story. So I should be way more excited to cover this than I really am. And I'm sure the listeners are like, Stan, this is amazing. Like, you cover foreign policy for like three or four days. The entire country was transfixed on this Chinese balloon crossing the country. Why are you not like all about this story? I'm glad you asked. So there are several reasons. And... I almost didn't even really want to cover this story at all. Let me just explain why real quick, and then we're going to anyway. But, first of all, the timing was absolutely terrible. I had just put out the last episode when, of course, the biggest news that's happened probably since maybe uh, the visit to Taiwan by the House Speaker Pelosi. That was pretty big. Maybe the invasion of Ukraine back in February all the way of a year ago. But it was frustrating because I just put out an episode and this huge news breaks. And there's so many misconceptions from the get-go. So the timing was terrible. I also had a uh, scheduled um, medical operation. And I had planned to spend a really long visit with my mom. I think I spent about seven hours on the Saturday. So all of this stuff was happening at like the worst time. And so people were trying trying to tweet me and ask questions. And it's just one of those deals where it would have been really nice to, uh, you know, if I, if I didn't have the day job, it would have been easy to jump all over this. I would have put out a special episode and I would have given you guys the lowdown as it was happening. But unfortunately, life, is, uh, life just intervened. And so I couldn't do that. And it was frustrating because it was this huge story and I wanted to be all over it. And I just had to remind myself that Stan, this is, there are bigger things. There's your health involved. There's a stay focused on family. Stay focused on what matters. You will cover big stories like this in greater detail at a future date if it's meant to be. Just be patient. So I managed, so the timing was the first part. The other thing that really just irked me about it from the beginning was that it became political. Almost immediately, and I, I cannot stand foreign policy stories 
that become political almost immediately. Because in the good old days, we tried to speak with one voice, both parties at least, with one voice on national slash international issues once it leaves the water's edge, so to speak. And this was one of those stories where immediately it was Biden was weak. And as you all know, this was just hammered for days and days and days. And then like so many stories where one side is just taking a broom to the other one. It then later came out that uh, there may have been some balloons that came over while Trump was president. So that's why I hate the right versus left stuff anyway. Because, you know, maybe it didn't need to come out that we knew those balloons come over. Like, it just, when you're dealing with foreign policy and national, you know, and international secrets, anytime you get politics involved, it just really, really... It just goes down a road you don't really want to go down because there's going to inevitably be leaks from either the Department of Defense or well-informed staffers in Congress on one side or the other that have to defend their side. And then we're just starting to release stuff we probably shouldn't release. And so there was that angle. It became political. And so that frustrated me. But it is still a huge story. And so I'm going to cover it. But I did want to kind of vent a second about the frustrations that I felt about this story. Uh, honestly, because it's all done, thing was shot down before we even put the new episode out, and it involved it ran into the surgical prep and everything else that I had, which everything's fine. Don't worry about that. So, but I almost was like, you know what, guys, we just missed the timing on this. I had stuff going on. I. I know you guys love me, and I know you understand, but we're just skipping the balloon story. Everyone read, listened, and heard enough about it everywhere else. You don't need me on this one. I'm looking for news that you don't find every week. And and I think that was the, the final thing, is I do like to cover things you don't necessarily see everywhere else. And I just hate when the national media so poorly covers a big story, because I feel like they're really good at just flashing graphics U.S.-China showdown is Biden weak. I mean, it's just so easy to play this game and to hop the ratings. And it's so, forgive me for saying so, but just so juvenile. My word. Are we that, are we that dumb? Are we that uh, so attention deficit, uh, sh- just such a shortage of attention that... We have to have our media like flashing graphics screaming at us before we finally pay attention to something going across our skies or to something that's, you know, a large country positioning forces for something to happen that will happen three to five years from now that we need to be thinking of. And in this instance, I'm talking about China or so many other stories. Are we that just so, I don't know. I, I just like to think we're better than that. And I might be wrong. I've absolutely an optimist and I absolutely have been told by friends I can be a little naive but dadgone it I'm gonna stay a dreamer and I don't plan on changing so I'm not apologizing for for who I am and I've had enough reality I did my time I've I've been in the danger zone so I'm not totally naive but I like to I like to keep a little magic in the world so 
So let's talk about the balloon. I was in the same boat as everyone else. Why not shoot it down immediately? Unlike everyone else, I actually started doing some research on it. And there were some reasons we didn't shoot it down immediately. So the first thing I did is I started looking and unlike my initial thought and probably unlike your initial thought, you can't just like pop it like it's a balloon. Like a single bullet piercing it isn't going to shoot it down. I know. I was surprised too. I have in the source notes a little research that I found. And the last time, it's a long, uh, long thread on Twitter. I apologize. I can't talk. But the last time that as part of a study, the military shot one down. Um, it took F-18s, two of them, to fire a thousand 20 millimeter rounds into a rogue weather balloon. And it still didn't come down for six days. So it slowly leaks coolant. It can remain in the air for days. Um, they're not easy to take out. And so I'm going to say that again. Two F-18s fired a thousand 20 millimeter rounds. 20 millimeter rounds. Everyone, everyone's heard of like a medium machine gun or a light machine gun's 5.56 millimeter. That's like your M16, your AR-15, a... Um, in the Marine Corps at least, and I think the Army might call them that too. They call it a squad automatic weapon. Um, they're now upgrading, but in the old days you'd have a belt-fed 5.56 millimeter, 200 rounds held in a belt in a box under the gun. That was a light machine gun. And then you go up to a medium machine gun. That's 7.62 millimeter. Those are uh, called 240s, M240B. If you go back to Vietnam, they were called the pig. Uh, those were M60, 7.62 millimeter. Those guns saved a lot of people's lives. Okay, but you go from 7.62, you move up to a um, a heavy machine gun. And so that's 50 caliber, or 12.7 millimeter. 12.7 millimeter. And those things, the size of bullet those things fire is, is hard to comprehend. Go much larger than that. Almost double. 20 millimeter. Two F-18s fired a thousand rounds into one, and it still didn't come down for six days. Okay? Now, a lot of people were like, well, it's over Montana. Who's, wh what's, who's going to hit? I mean, like, what's the chance it's going to hit anyone? That's the least populated state we have. Well, that's true. But the balloon was at it somewhere between 60 and 65,000 square feet. So if you want to imagine a couple of, you know, fighter planes... And by the way, I've looked up all this stuff, so let's just quickly go through it. So an F-16 can fly at 50,000 feet. They're armed with the 20-millimeter uh, Gatling gun. Uh, I've got, it fires the M-56 high-explosive incendiary rounds, and they produce a large number of small high-velocity fragments. So that's one of the rounds it fires. It fires armor-piercing. I seriously doubt they'd want to use armor-piercing. I also researched our F-15s. They're armed with 20mm. F-22s are armed with 20mm. Uh, now, 20mm cannon has a range of about 2,000 yards. And so I was looking up at the various elevations of the various jets that we have. Um, F-16s, about 50,000 square feet. They've gone higher to set a record, but 50,000. So they're about 10,000 feet below the balloon. You've got F-15s go 65,000 square feet, so they could get high enough. They could hit it with a 20mm. You need two of them. You need a thousand rounds. Even then, it might take days. And, oh, by the way, everyone's going to be laughing at us while it takes forever for this thing to come down. 
Uh, F-22, 50 to 60,000 square feet, same thing. You might take two of them. Now, initially, so I don't know, I don't know exactly what happened, but initially, from what I had researched, shooting it down with a missile was a challenging thing because, one, it's a soft material. Um, it's also apparently pretty hard to target. Um, but clearly, once it had cleared the entire United States, a missile did work. And it seemed to work pretty effectively. So, did they program some things? Did they do some things? I don't know. You know, who knows? Um, but, at any rate, everyone's initial thought was, we got to shoot this thing down. And just the least amount of research would show you that shooting it down wasn't an easy option. Now, again, maybe they programmed the missile different. I'm not sure, honestly. They had several days to do so. I would argue... They probably did, but that's just because a lot of people were saying how hard it'd be to shoot this thing down, to even target it, to even find it on radar, because it's just, it's not, you know, jets are made to shoot down other jets, and it's a slow-moving balloon that can drop uh, chaff that is just hard to get a signature on. Um, it'd be easier to target the lower part, but I mean, it's just... Did we want to shoot multiple missiles and look like a bunch of idiots because we can't shoot down a balloon over our airspace? Like, I think there was more going on than we know, than we'll probably ever know. Maybe it'll get leaked at some point. It'll be out in the media. And maybe I'm just wrong about this, but I feel pretty firm about where I'm coming at with this stuff. So, Now, about the balloon, it did have propellers and a rudder, so it was able to speed up, slow down. It was able to loiter, steer, so... Clearly, it was more than just a weather balloon. Um, now, when they shot it down, this was very well planned. Uh, they shot it down. Obviously, everyone's seen the videos. F-22. Uh, missile was obviously dead on. It fell into a, a debris field of 1,500 by 1,500 meters, which sounds like a lot. And a lot of people at first, even myself, were like, man, why did we blast it? Like, I even thought in the ocean, why not just use the cannons to try to shoot it down maybe get a bunch of cannons so it doesn't take five days and land in like europe or something but you know it's still a lot of bullets flying around and i mean at 50 60 000 feet i don't know what the arc is on several hundred or several thousand 20 millimeter cannon rounds you know they fire 2,000 yards and what's the arc on that and how far does that go and make sure you don't hit north carolina or something i don't know it's a lot of bullets to be flying thrown around in the ocean so I guess really smart people who know way more about this than I do decided a missile was the best thing, even though it probably damaged a fair amount of the stuff that we wanted to collect. But we did shoot it down, and we shot it down in an amazing area that very quickly we were able to get basically cordoned off. It's very uh, low depth, and so our divers can um, get to the debris pretty easily. We had ships waiting. So all this was pretty well planned out. Now, so again, I'm avoiding all the politics of when we should have shot it down, should we have shot it down, was Biden weak, is Trump weak. I'm, I'm avoiding all that. I'm not here to, to play those kind of, in my opinion, pretty small games. I'm Team America, regardless of who's in charge. So we shot it down. So just a few things. I wanted to share something from uh, General Mark Hurtling. I've talked about his bio before, and there's no need in wasting 30 seconds to tell you that He's done a lot, seen a lot. So, 
He mentioned a few things that I thought was worth sharing in a thread on Twitter. I've got the link in the uh, source notes if you want to read the entire thing. I'm only going to hit a few points on it. He knocked down the fact that all the arguing about it and making us look silly was a bad idea. But here were a few things he said. Let me uh, get to it here real quick. So General Hurtling says, first of all, they probably told President Biden, Biden, the DOD anyway, that we could shoot it down, but we're getting all kinds of info off of this thing. And so uh, General Hurtling says that um, he thinks that the balloon was shadowed by U.S. forces for sure, and that we probably learned a lot by basically collecting intel off of it as it tried to collect intel off of us. And so uh, he believed that there was jamming, spoofing, that we were following, we were trying to intercept. So he thinks we were probably gaining some things from leaving it in the sky. Um, Again, we mentioned that when it was shot down, it was in less than 50 feet of water. They've already got ships there, divers, etc. They even have, and this was something I didn't know, um, that the ships have a a uh, type of sonar on them that allows them to map the ocean floor and find anything that wasn't floating. So we're doing that. Uh, he also says that that because we left it up, the Chinese are able to say, hey, it wasn't a, a weather balloon because, oh, by the way, there's one in South America now. It's hard for them to explain. And if we had just shot it down... You know, it's kind of a he said, she said, if it was a weather balloon or not. I thought that was a decent point. And so, what, is there anything else I wanted to share? No, I think he mostly goes into just the political fighting that's happened. So I wanted to share that, but I also want to share something else as well regarding some of the strategic implications. The following comes from Ian Brimmer, who puts out, newsletter and videos under G zero and you can look all this stuff up. I've got a link to it in the Substack notes, but he's a really good analyst and I like a lot of what he says. And I'm going to share a bit more of what he says than I normally would from someone because a, it's just so good. Uh, and I've got the video linked in the Substack notes, like I said, but I wanted to share what he said about this. So he's, he has several points on this, which is that, uh, Let me just start with that the timing was completely just inconvenient for both America and China. Uh, As you know, Secretary of State Blinken had planned to travel to China, and he was going to meet directly with the leader of China, Xi uh, Jinping, and then both Biden and Xi really wanted to get this done, according to Ian Bremmer, and I think he's right about that. And so that had to be postponed. There's no date for when it's supposed to reset for And Ian Bremmer talks about that China has really been trying to engage a charm offensive lately, which I completely agree with. They have. Um, I think some of this comes from uh, Apple. Well, and he talks about the zero COVID policy and they're trying to open up. We've talked about how many will probably um, the threats from that to their economy and how many will probably die this winter. Um, But One thing I cannot remember if I put in a podcast or not is Apple is starting to leave China, um, one of their big production plants. They're looking to expand production in India and Vietnam and even in a factory in Arizona. I think I mentioned that a month or so ago, but I have to be honest. I can't remember if I did or not. I read a lot of things 
and I try to squeeze a lot in. I know I've talked about the past six months how China has to realize at some point that if Western investment and if Western manufacturing, if Western production starts to see a basically a uh, escalation and or looming conflict with Taiwan, I think they're going to start pulling out. I think they've already started pulling out. We've talked about, I believe I did talk about this uh, maybe back in November or further back about LinkedIn and some other companies were starting to leave. And so I think that's starting to hit China as their economy struggling some, that they really need to think about what they're doing here. And so Ian Bremmer talks about they were on this charm offensive and then this balloon incident happens. And he makes a couple of points that I think are just incredible, which I want to share them as well. I'm sharing a little more than I normally would from a single person because I don't like to do that because it's not the right thing to do. But this is just really keen analysis. And I do highly recommend that if you get into this stuff, that you follow Ian Bremmer and um, what he does at G-Zero. But one is he says that this is evidence that China makes mistakes. And that's an interesting point. Um, He talks about how there were other incidents of balloons cutting across the U.S. um, And he says that that maybe uh, Xi Jinping thought he could get away with a much larger balloon over the course of several days and that he was badly advised. And then he says some heads are probably rolling internally uh, over in China in in the defense industry. And just a side note on that, I, I read that and I'm pretty sure he's mostly joking. But I also think about how in places like China and Russia... When you give bad advice, when you embarrass your leader, uh, you don't always just get fired. Um, in Russia, you can sometimes fall out windows. Uh, you can sometimes be thrown in prison. Really bad things can happen. And it's the exact same way in China, which is why I always try to remind people we live in an amazing, amazing country. Even when our politics seem so, so bad and divided, we don't literally kill people here um, to for giving bad advice or for any of those things. So... We have fair trials. It's a much different system, and we take this stuff for granted, and we shouldn't. But he mentions that heads are probably rolling internally over in China. And um, the other thing is that he makes another really keen observation here, is that Biden becomes constrained when information goes public. And he talks about a great reminder with the Nancy Pelosi trip to Taiwan that Biden had been trying to stop Nancy Pelosi from going. Obviously, she was the former speaker. Uh, but then it got public. And then once the trip was uh, leaked, you know, then the Democrats and the Republicans are all yelling back and forth. And everyone's screaming, you can't look weak. And so as because of that, Biden then had to back off and actually support the trip. And then from there, of course, China escalated some of their military drills because they can't look weak either. And so he says that's what happened here. Uh, Before the balloon, he talks about that Biden was still planning on sending uh, Secretary of State Blinken to China and to meet with uh, Xi Jinping. And then once the balloon information got out, you know, obviously he had to decide not to send the Secretary of State. Uh, He talks about that trip hasn't even been rescheduled yet. It might not happen. And so uh, I think that's just a, a good point about how things are easier to be done sometimes um, in a little less of a public information sphere. And so uh, I thought those were some good points. I've got the video linked. It's about a four minute, 30 second video, and it's stated much better than I just stated it. But uh, really keen points by him on that. 
I think that's about all I'm going to say on the balloon incident. And so I hope I covered it. I hope I shared a few things with you that you hadn't thought about or that made you think or that maybe you didn't know about that would completely make my day. And um, so thanks for indulging me as I shared a fair amount on that and um, and for allowing me to explain why I struggled to even want to share that much. So thanks for that. Let's move to the next topic. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so, unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, so you'll never miss a show. And again, that's free. Also, people are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription on my Substack page. Or you can sign up at Patreon, where you can find me by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Or at Venmo, where you can find my name by searching at Author Stan R. Mitchell. All of these links can be found on my Substack page. And it's $5 per month should you choose to support the show with a subscription. Obviously, you can cancel at any time. Thanks so much. Alright, so let's move to Ukraine. We're going to keep the Ukraine news relatively short today. Um, We covered a lot with the balloon, and there's not been a ton that has happened. Um, Just mention, I think, three brief things. First, uh, Norway made a major announcement that they're going to donate $7.3 billion in aid to Ukraine. That's over a five-year commitment. Uh, that was a pretty serious chunk of change, and it's both humanitarian and military defense. It's split almost in half, so that was huge. Also, was going to mention that as we've wondered, and at least me speaking personally, worried about decreasing support in the U.S. for the defense of Ukraine, uh, President Biden did speak about it in the State of the Union He called it a test for America, a test for the world, and he made some pretty strong remarks in uh, during the speech. And you know, you guys know I tried my best to mostly avoid politics, but I will say it did occur to me that I think the Ukraine issue is probably a political issue that uh, President Biden and the Democrats will use against the Russians because there is. A small element of the Republican Party. I'm not sure what that percentage is, whether it's five or ten percent. It might be twenty. I know at one point, you know, seventy, eighty percent of Americans supported pretty strong support of, you know, aiding and arming Ukraine. So if it's twenty or thirty percent now, that's dropped some. Um, but there are there is a strong element of like the national defense side of the Republican Party, and obviously there's also the libertarian let's not get involved anywhere and not be the world's policeman part as well, but it probably will be a cudgel that Biden will wield against uh, whoever runs in uh, 2024 as far as the support for Ukraine. And I do think, and I know some uh, Republican friends that especially that I know through uh, my social media that they put support of Ukraine above about all else. So it might, you know, if it came down to Biden or Trump or Biden or DeSantis or 
depending on who that Republican challenger is. That might be something that the Democrats have tested in polls, and they may be playing the the card that this is the politically smart move. So I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm just throwing that out there. But obviously, I, I think we should continue supporting Ukraine. I think it's a humanitarian issue. I think it's a it, I think it's the right defense move. I think it's the right foreign policy move. I think it's the right strategic move. I think there's so many reasons for doing it. I've named almost all of them on here before, so I won't go through them again. One final thing about Ukraine is uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is visiting the UK. That's literally happening today, Wednesday, as, re- as I record this. And Britain has actually said that it will train Ukrainian pilots on, quote, NATO standard fighter jets. We have been talking for quite a while about potential for jets in Ukraine, um, some form of NATO version, F-16s or something. Um, Interestingly, though, the UK says that it's not practical to send the Ukrainian military with British warplanes, that it's they're different versions, they're more complex I didn't have a time, a chance to really research all of that. I know some of the British warplanes, but as far as what that meant, I didn't get a chance to really research that. But uh, it is another step forward that a NATO country is now saying it will train Ukrainian pilots. That is, a, you know, every step forward is one step closer. So I think that's pretty big news. So again, the big news: Norway, big announcement, seven point three billion over five years. It looks like Biden's definitely going to put whatever political capital he has to supporting Ukraine and basically put his, if assuming he runs, and it certainly looks like he's going to run his election on that, and then, which would probably lead to the Republican uh, making the argument that Ukraine should not be supported and that it's a waste of money and a blank check. And then the final thing, of course, that the, the fact that UK will start training Ukrainian pilots on, and the quote was, NATO standard fighter jets. So, I'm assuming that's F-16s. That's constantly what's get thrown, what gets thrown out. But I needed to dig on that a little more. So I'll try to get you more on that in the next episode. Now, let's move to one other quick thing. And almost every episode, I do not have time to squeeze in all of the things that I want to squeeze in. And one of the things I want to squeeze in is that as someone who was deployed overseas and I was just a very small, very, 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 very small cog in a very large machine, and there are so many men and women like that out there, there are two operations you probably have forgotten about or that slip your mind. One is there was an additional op- military operation in Somalia. We've talked about Somalia a few times. I'll have the link to that in the Substack notes. I didn't get a chance to go over it, but I did want to link to it because we have to remember that there are people doing dangerous things on a daily basis to keep us safe. So did want to link to that. And I also wanted to link to a story that I didn't get to dive into, but Task and Purpose had an amazing article that in 2022, that U.S. troops conducted 313 missions and they killed 686 ISIS fighters in the Syria area of the Middle East, Um, some of them in Iraq and a few other places. But basically, that's a lot of missions by American troops doing very dangerous things that could go wrong. Even on a peaceful, or even on any operation, a helicopter could have some type of issue and, and 
you know, crash. There are almost regular crashes each year, at least one or two in the military, involving military, opera, uh, military, even peacetime training and flying. But 313 missions, and they killed 686 ISIS fighters in 2022. And let's be very real, people, including, and this hits home for me too, most of us forget this, and most of us might have heard of one or two of those missions, max. They did kill one major fighter, uh, but most of that didn't even make the news. 313 missions, 686 ISIS fighters. That is a lot of danger faced by a very small group of people. And we as Americans constantly take this stuff for granted. But a lot of men and women faced a lot of danger and a lot of terror during that time. And I know, even though many of those who performed those operations were quite professionals, I know as someone who went into harm's way in 97 and came back, and I thought I had done the biggest thing in the world, and I came back and was shocked to realize that most Americans had no idea what we had done, that we had evacuated a thousand Americans, that we had faced very dangerous situations and life and death. For me, this was huge stuff, and most Americans didn't know, and, you know, they didn't have a lot of concern. Um, back then, I used to say most Americans didn't care. It's kind of negative. I mean, I think most Americans care, but uh, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty uh, uh, hurt about the entire situation back then. And so, which is why I have such a big heart toward veterans and all those who serve. And then I think back going back to Vietnam and how some of those were even scorned for their service. It absolutely just rips my heart out. And I can't imagine how angry and um, just hurt I would be over such a situation back then. But Again, I didn't have time to cover these two things. There are links to them in the article or in my Substack notes if you want to go read about them. Um, definitely worth good reading. Um, definitely worth remembering these folks, keeping them in your thoughts. Let's not forget the sacrifice that so many are making for all of our freedom and our safety. Okay, guys, so we will move to the motivation and wisdom part. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree. And one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life, because it's hard to be around people that don't believe, that suck the energy out of you, or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams... Having heroes that I looked up to, whether it was sports figures or past presidents or past military leaders, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go 
And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. So we've got some great ones this week, and I hope they uh, hit you the way they hit me as I pulled them together. As I always say, you can find them in the source notes at my Substack page if you want to find these various accounts to follow, and that way you can get a little extra motivation throughout the week. Uh, again, uh, the Substack URL is stanormitchell.substack.com, and we will just begin. Here's the first one. Never give up your desire to be what you want to be. Starting off with a good one. Never give up your desire to be what you want to be. And I can tell you, having chased a few dreams in my life, it is easy to want to get up, give up. Sometimes in the beginning it's easy, and sometimes in the middle it's easy. It's definitely easy to give up your desire to be what you want to be. Let's go with the next one. Be real. Be kind. Be humble some good advice. I certainly try to do those things. Next one. Don't stress. Do your best. Forget the rest. That's a pretty good one. Don't stress. Do your best. Forget the rest. Next one. Don't ever lose hope. Another good one. Don't ever lose hope. Next one. Always count your blessings, not your problems. A little gratitude for you. Again, it was always count your blessings, not your problems. Next one. A little bit of a deep one here. Once you've matured, you realize silence is more more important than proving a point. Again, it is once you've matured, you realize silence is more important than proving a point. That one hit home for me with a uh, 14-year-old stepson. Sometimes we'll be talking sports or something, and he'll say something that is just factually incorrect. And I will a thousand percent know that I am correct about it. And, uh, in fact, it happened a few weeks ago where a defensive end didn't contain on the outside, and a running back got around. And um, after the play, I I said, man, if the defensive end had done his job, that play wouldn't have happened. And he said, no, that was a linebacker. And I knew it wasn't the linebacker. And um, and I foolishly start arguing with him. I'm like, no, it was. I named the player. He was a defensive end. He should have contained. And then, you know, it was probably a couple of minutes of him arguing a bit and getting a little more upset, convinced that it was a linebacker. And uh, the wife kind of gave me the look, and I realized I'm arguing with a 14 year old <laughs> about something that is one not worth arguing about. And um, and then, in the end, when I finally just shut up, I said, well, maybe you're right. And then he said, I think that guy's name was, and I'm not going to name the player. We'll just say Smith, hypothetically. And he's like, no, actually, Smith has, no, that one's a linebacker. And he he basically worked his way to the point that I was hoping he would get to anyway. So, sometimes, just, there's, I mean, it, it is silly that you would, as an adult, try to argue with a 14-year-old. But again, the quote was, Once you've matured, you realize silence is more important than proving a point. Next one. You become what you believe. I love that. 
You become what you believe. Next one. Seek respect, not attention. It lasts longer. Again, seek respect, not attention. It lasts longer. That's a good one. We kind of talked about that a week or so ago where you can, you know, I'll just speak as an author because that's what I can relate to and, and know a thing about. But I see people, you can write one book, and I was used to be really guilty of this myself, and they'll do so much on social media to try to get attention, and you try so hard to do various things and try to get, you know, video or tweets to go viral, and and sometimes you kind of demean yourself doing that, and ultimately, it's just better to start writing the next book, seek respect, not attention. It lasts longer. Next one, apologizing doesn't always mean you're wrong and the other person is right. It means you value your relationship more than your ego. This one kind of follows along with what I was saying earlier. Apologizing doesn't mean you're wrong. Uh, I can't talk. I apologize, guys. Apologizing doesn't mean you're wrong and the other person is right. It means you value your relationship more than your ego. <laughs> it did hit me as I was talking to my stepson. I nearly wanted to say, <laughs> bro, I've been watching football for 30 plus years at a pretty high level of understanding. But again, it's like you're arguing with a 14 year old who's been watching it for five or six years. I mean, what what is the point of that? Why, why try to be right in that instance? And so I learned something myself in that little uh, escapade. Next one. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. That is a deep one and a great one. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Next one. Actually, I'll say on that, everything has beauty one. I think you should see that in people. And obviously, compliment people on their strengths and not fault them for their wisdom or for their weaknesses. But, uh, you know, every now and then you'll see artists who take trash, just stuff that you could find in a dumpster and turn it into something that's just amazing. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. The next one. This one's from Daily Dose of Psychology. And it's eight things that happy people are. Happy people are humble, healthy eaters, optimistic, risk takers, generous, not arrogant, collaborative, honest. Again, those eight things that happy people are, they are the following. Humble, healthy eaters, optimistic, risk takers, generous, not arrogant, collaborative, and honest. The next one really hit home for me. It's a short one. Being too nice breaks you. Even though I mentioned earlier, kind of arguing with my stepson, that is kind of out of the norm for me. I'm most of my friends kind of say I'm a uh, a doormat. I don't. I cannot stand conflict. I rarely get into conflict. Clearly, the whole show is about. Um, you know, building unity and not being divisive. It's just kind of my normal state. And unfortunately, sometimes I am too nice. And so I think there is a danger in being too much of anything. Probably like most things in life, moderation is best. But the quote was, being too nice breaks you. Next one. To be normal is the ultimate aim of the unsuccessful. And that was said by Carl Jung, who I believe was a psychologist. But uh, that one is pretty deep, is it not? Again, it was to be normal is the ultimate aim 
of the unsuccessful. So clearly we should not be normal. I uh, was listening to a podcast last week, I believe, and it talked about how most people are addicted to aimless distraction. And I even wrote those words down in a uh, a file that I refer to. I have several self-help files and confidence files and various things because I'm kind of constantly trying to build myself up because I'm kind of not as confident as one should be. And also I have goals and stuff, but um, aimless distraction was two words that just hit me like a, like a, really a baseball bat because I always, I can't do aimless distraction. I feel guilty. And I've written about this several times over the past 10, 15 years about sometimes my mind, my, my mind is always, anytime if I play some game on my phone, um, like there's a voice inside of me. It's like, you should be writing. And so I have never been able to do aimless distraction. And I know some people need to because you've been stressed at work or family pressures, etc. And there are times, I guess, aimless distraction is okay. But I also think it's something that we just all kind of naturally run to because it's easy. It's easy when you have that 10 or 15 minutes after dinner or 20 minutes before bed to do aimless distraction. But I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. If you're on a religious journey, it's probably not the worst time to read whatever book is a part of your faith or pray. If you're trying to chase a dream or something's been bugging you or something you say you don't have time to do, those little chunks of time that you put toward that project really add up. And so the quote that I shared from Carl Jung was, to be normal is the ultimate aim of the unsuccessful. And so I think our aim should be, if you don't want to be normal, is you want to do what the normal normal folks don't do. So a little less TV, a little more, little more focus on either yourself or your family or your job or your religious journey, whatever that is for you, maybe that dream, don't fall for aimless distraction. It won't kill you, but you're going to wake up someday wishing you hadn't wasted so much time. I feel pretty confident saying that. Let's move to the next one. Never judge someone without knowing the whole story. You may think you understand, but you don't. Is that a great one or not? Again, it's never judge someone without knowing the whole story. You may think you understand, but you don't. Man, that's good. Next one. If you're looking for a happy ending and can't seem to find one, maybe it's time to start looking for a new beginning. Is that one deep or what? If you're looking for a happy ending and can't seem to find one, maybe it's time to start looking for a new beginning. It's a great one. Next one. Don't judge people on who they used to be. Allow them to be who they are now. It's another good one. Don't judge people on who they used to be. Allow them allow them to be who they are now. Next one. Be disciplined. There is no easy way. That is so true, is it not? Be disciplined. There is no easy way. Next one is a, just another great one. A small talk can actually fix a lot. Is that good or what? A small talk can actually fix a lot. How often we allow 
distance and division to grow because we don't communicate or because we just don't say, hey, let's talk about something. And so many times, I know everyone listening knows this and you've experienced it. When you actually talk to someone that you're kind of upset at, so many times, half of the reasons you're upset were based on reasons that aren't even, you know, legit. The You misunderstood why something happened and you talk to them and you realize, oh, they did that because they were actually trying to help you, or, or it's it's just funny, but a small talk can actually fix a lot. This is another list one. Ten things to give up now. From This is from uh, ins- Inspirational Quotes on Twitter, and um, they go by at Seth said, S-E-F-F said. Ten things to give up now. Doubting yourself, number one. Negative thinking. Fear of failure. Destructive relationships, gossiping, criticizing yourself and others, anger, laziness, procrastination, and finally, people-pleasing. So again, these are 10 things you should give up on. Doubting yourself, negative thinking, fear of failure, destructive relationships, gossiping, criticizing yourself and others, anger, laziness, procrastination, people-pleasing. That's a uh, pretty good list, I would say. So let's go to the next one. Not prioritizing tasks leaves us open for others to control our task. It's pretty good, right? Not not prioritizing tasks leaves us open for others to control our task. Next one. When you feel like giving up, remember why you held on for so long in the first place. Is that good or what? When you feel like giving up, remember why you held on for so long in the first place. Next one. Stay focused and put in the work. The rewards will come. Again, stay focused and put in the work. The rewards will come. Next one. Never give up on something you believe in. There's a lot of uh, motivation slash persistent ones in today's is or not never give up on something you believe in next one keep things simple simple is powerful oh that's so good is it not especially in military planning but in so many things in life keep things simple simple is powerful next one enjoy the little things in life ah some gratitude right enjoy the little things in life i mentioned earlier that uh had a recently really small surgical procedure, but when your health is uh, something that you're having to deal with, you realize there's so many things that you worry about on a normal day, they don't matter in the big picture. So again, enjoy the little things in life. Next one, be loyal to your future, not your past. Oh, another deep one, especially for someone like me who just dwells on the past too much most of the time. I've been working a lot more on that in the last couple of years thanks to my amazing, beautiful wife who's helped me because I am an overthinker. But again, it is. Be loyal to your future, not your past. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. 
I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, it's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out. And that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town. And he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. A couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. 
Book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akoff, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So really, the book is... It's pretty deep, so it it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish, and will they survive with their honor and dignity, and, you know, I've been told this, that Soldier On just truly defines what it means to be a soldier, to never give up. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan, it's called Hill 406, it's about a couple of Marines who couldn't be more different. They get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation. It's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. And then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention. Actually, it's a part biography, part self-help all-inspiration type book about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking, how he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge, like, two-to-one election defeat. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help. So I think you can learn a lot from presidents. I could go for on for, again, I won't get into it too much, but that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How He Managed to the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell, and you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed, and that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell. So way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of 
I don't know, pretentious, but yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.